I got a couple of things here, housekeeping items to get out of the way. First of all, we're going to take communion here at the end of our service. And so if you walked into uh, the auditorium here and missed getting uh, the communion elements and you would like to take part if you're a follower of Jesus, uh, if you've confessed him as Lord and Savior, this is something that we partake together. This isn't something that brings any spiritual be benefit. These, these items are just items that you could buy at the store. But what we will do here is a great representation of that. So if you didn't receive those items, please, uh, to your right, you can get up right now. No one's going to judge you for that. If you missed out and you want to get those, please go ahead and do that. The other thing while you're doing that is just to identify something that I'm very keenly aware of this morning uh, is that I, I look like a pirate today. Uh, yeah, yeah, let's get it all out right now. Let's do it with me. Arr! All right, you're all pirates with me then too. That makes me feel better. Uh, yeah, there you go. Uh, no, I, I'm, I'm, not, uh, I'm not getting on the Halloween costume thing a little bit early. Next week, I'll come with like a wooden leg or something. No, no, no. Uh, no, I just, uh, I've got something going on with my eye, and so uh, I'm wearing a patch here today. So uh, it'll probably be a Sunday that you'll remember. Hopefully, you'll remember the, the scripture passage, but you might remember. I, I remember that day that Pastor Matthew wore a patch over his eye. So, uh, but anyway, I just wanted to kind of get that out of the way. And then, and then thirdly, there's one other thing. You just saw the advertisement for this, this event, this Halloween event uh, that's happening here next Sunday. And you may be asking yourself, why in the world would a church want to get involved in a Halloween event? There's a lot of darkness that's involved, uh, uh, involved with Halloween, right? Well, because people of Jesus are called the people of the light. And Jesus is the one who entered into the darkness to shine the light of glory to a lost and dark world. And so we're going to be a part of it, not because we want to celebrate all the darkness that's associated with Halloween, but so that we can be the people of light in the midst of darkness. And so I want to invite you. It's free, but you got to register ahead of time. Please do that. Come on out. Wear a Fairfax Bible Church uh, sweatshirt or something, or if you want to wear a costume that's not scary, go for it. Come on out and connect with our community. Meet our community. Say, hey, we meet right over here. We would love for you to come and celebrate the birth of our Savior that's coming up in the Advent season. Come be a part of what God is doing here. We love you in the name of Jesus. So that's the only plug I want to give for that. Uh, it's just an awesome opportunity as, as elders and leaders. We thought, man, we got to be a part of this because we want to tell our community that Jesus loves them. You know, a couple of weeks ago, we heard, uh, you know, we saw from the text of Scripture that, that Jesus loves the city. Why? Because people are in the city. And I believe Jesus loves what's going to happen over here next week in our field because people will be there. And we want to be there and we want to be a part of it. So I'll stop there. But we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 19, verses 1 through 20 this morning. Acts chapter 19, verses 1 through 20. Follow along as I read aloud. <clears throat> If I, I mess up a little bit, I'm, I'm reading with one eye, so <laughs> I appreciate your grace and patience with me this morning. It says this in Acts chapter 19, verse 1, And it happened while, Paul, while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples, and he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? They said, Into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is, Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. And he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, 
reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who were now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it to be 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. This is the word of the Lord. Amen? Amen. All right. Well, uh, we're, we're here actually finishing up this morning a, a series that we've been in in the book of Acts from chapters 15 and 19 called To the World. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus tells his disciples, You will receive power on high and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And we're seeing that fleshed out in this section that we've been following here, that the gospel of Jesus, the good news about Jesus as Lord and Savior, that he's the Son of God, that he died on the cross for the sins of humanity, that he rose from the dead, ascended back to heaven and sent the Holy Spirit. That good news message is getting spread all throughout the world. And it's going to the, to the reaches, to the ends of the earth, as Jesus had promised his disciples. But as it's going to the world, as this message is going out, is it making a difference? Is it really changing anything? I think about this. What do you believe about the good news message of the gospel? Does it really have an impact on society? Or is it just a message, you know, maybe you, if you've grown up in the church, maybe it's a, a message that you heard in a, a classroom or a Sunday school or something, and, and it's, okay, I, I know I can go to heaven, but really, what difference does it make in the everyday stuff of life? Can the gospel really have an impact, not just on personal spiritual well-being, but can it actually have an influence on the world, right? I'm going to refer to uh, someone who is by no means a theologian nor a philosopher. In fact, I can't even vouch for all of his character, but I do appreciate much of his music. This man's name is Michael Jackson, the king of pop, all right? Now, he wrote a song called Man in the Mirror, and ever since I put this down to use this in my introduction, I can't get it out of my head. It's an earworm, right? I'm not going to sing it, Hang. Don't even try it. (laughs) Come on, Hang. You got to know I ain't going to sing right now. It's the man in the mirror. It's from the bad album released, and that's the, kind of the irony of it, but from the bad album released in February 1988. And I actually, I watched the video again. It's a really powerful and actually provocative video. It's got all kinds of images of brokenness and hurt and pain and starvation and, and tyranny and, and persecution of humanity. It's just, I mean, it's, just a, it's a video that's just full of all of the worst parts of humanity and our brokenness. 
And I, I do appreciate the song. And it says, I, I'm going to make a change for once in my life. It's going to feel real good. Going to make a difference. Going to make it right. But then you ask, well, how are you going to do that, Mr. Jackson, right? He says this, I'm starting with the man in the mirror. I'm asking him, obviously referring to himself, to change his ways. And no message could have been any clearer. If they want to make the world a better place, take a look at yourself and make a change. I think there's something really good, actually, about this message. It's, it's personal ownership and responsibility for the problems that we see in the world. Oftentimes, we always want to point the finger. It's always their fault, their fault, your fault, not wanting to take any ownership for this. And so I think there's some truth, some truth to this song that he's singing about. It's about personal ownership and responsibility. If you want to see a change, you got to start with the person that you see in the mirror. If you want to see a change in your life, in your home, in your community, why don't you start being a part of that change that you want to see? But the problem is I read this, as I read the lyrics of this song and I listen to it again, I thought to myself, but where does the power come from? Where does the power for change come from? It's missing the power to actually bring about the change. It's starting in a good place, but it's missing the key component, and that's the power to actually see change in this world. I want to ask, this song was written in 1988. I know many of you aren't even born yet, ugh, right? But for those of you that recall 1988, or if you know anything about 1988, or even just from the time that you were born, let's just put it there, are we better, any better off 35 years later? I mean, it's a very inspiring song. Are we any better off? Maybe we need something deeper. I'm starting not with just the man in the mirror, but I would say this morning, as we see Paul in Ephesus, we want to say, and when I'm not talking about Paul, but we want to start with the man, not in the mirror, but in the scripture, Jesus himself, starting with the man in the scripture, and I'm asking him to change our ways, right? That's the hope of the gospel that we believe can have a true impact in this world. Paul, as we see in this passage in Ephesus, he's the conduit. He's the channel through which God transforms an entire region. But, but please, don't make the mistake here and think, wow, what a hero Paul is. No, no, the hero of this passage of Scripture, as it is all throughout the book of Acts, is Jesus and his power, and he's working it through Paul, and he works it through his servants today, I believe. He and the believers in Ephesus, they're willing servants that the Lord chooses to use, but they have to be committed to his methods. And here's our big idea this morning. God changes the world through his word and his work. It's pretty simple. God changes the world through his word and his work. God is the one who is, who is changing the world. One person, one household, one town, one church, one community at a time. But he's the one who does it. And he, the means that he's chosen to do that is through his word, the gospel, and through the work that he does accompanying that message. We'll see just two things this morning, real simple, God's word. And we'll see God's work from this passage here. So let's take a look at it. God's word, first of all, in verses 1 through 10. Verse 1, we see Apollos, and he's in Corinth. Paul is in Ephesus. Last week, we saw that, that the, the mission, that the, the, the ministry, it, it, gets, it gets multiplied, right? It has to get multiplied, and it gets multiplied through many workers. And so it's encouraging to see that now we've got Corinth, and the word is proclaimed there, and we've got it, Ephesus, and the world word is proclaimed there. Corinth being near Athens and Greece, Ephesus being in modern-day Turkey and Asia Minor. 
So Paul comes across these, these group of peoples that, uh, that, that uh, Luke calls believers, group of people. And Paul asks them a simple question. Well, you, you say you're a believer, but I want to ask you, did you receive the Holy Spirit? You see, the Holy Spirit, according to Paul's theology, we see it in Ephesians and other letters. The Holy Spirit, we understand from the gospel, is the seal and the guarantee of a believer's faith in Jesus. So it's a, it's a very reasonable question. Have you received the seal? Have you received the guarantee, the evidence that, that you have been rescued from your sins, that you have truly been saved? You see, friends, without Jesus, there is no Holy Spirit, but also if you do not have the Holy Spirit, you don't have Jesus. You don't have salvation. Jesus is the conduit through which we receive the Holy Spirit. But how do we know that we have salvation through Jesus? Do we have the Holy Spirit living with inside of us? There are some that would say that those two things are separated. You can have Jesus without the Holy Spirit. But Paul is saying, I want to know, do you have Jesus? Jesus, and the way he asks is, have you received the Holy Spirit? And then they say, but we haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Now, if these people were truly followers of John, they would have known about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is talked about in the Old Testament. This isn't some invention of the apostles in the New Testament. The Holy Spirit, from the very beginning of the scriptures in Genesis 1, it says the Spirit was hovering over the face of the deep in Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, right? And so there's the spirit there evidently there. But, but really what these believers are saying, they're like, well, we heard of John's baptism, but we haven't heard that there's a Holy Spirit that's come down and actually living inside of people. I mean, this is, this is amazing stuff to us. We knew about what John the Baptist had preached about the coming of the spirit, but we didn't know that he's here. And so they say they believe in John's baptism. Paul says, well, that's a great start. That's a good start. That's a really good start, but it's incomplete. The message that John proclaimed to you isn't just a message about repenting of your sin and listening to what John had to say, but actually listening to what John had to say. And John said, I must decrease, John the Baptist, if you remember in the Gospel of John, but the one who's following after me, he must increase. I must decrease, he must increase. Who's the he that he's talking about? Jesus himself. And so Paul says, we can't be followers of John the Baptist. You have to be followers of the one to whom John pointed, and that is Jesus so they had good faith. They had a good start, but an incomplete faith. It prepared people in their hearts, John's message did, by calling them to repent. But personal repentance, friends, personally making a choice to turn away from your old life and be devoted to God and his commands, while it's necessary, it's not enough to be delivered from sin's eternal consequence, which is death. Just merely changing your life and, and, and making a change, right, as Michael Jackson would say, it's not enough. It's good to start with the man in the mirror, but he alone can't make the change. And so Paul tells these beginning believers, these pre-believers, he tells them, you need to come and find out where the source of power for change is, and that's Jesus John told people to look ahead of him to someone who is greater, Jesus the Messiah. And so these believers, they get baptized in the name, not of Paul, not in the name of, 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 the, uh, of, of the apostles, not in the name of, of John the Baptist, but in the name of the Lord Jesus. Friends, there is one mediator between God and man, the man who is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Just a little story. Just even this week, I was sitting in my office and I was... I was studying and praying, and, and I heard a group of people praying. 
Now, now, if this offends you, I, I, I'm not intending to do that. I just want you to see from Scripture that this is applies to our lives here today. <coughs> I heard a group of people, kids and a few adults, and they were walking across the street in their school academic uniforms, and, and I think there's a, a Catholic school across the street, and they're, they're saying a prayer as they walk along, and some of them were holding rosary beads, and they're praying the Hail Mary prayers, right? Calling out to Mary, and my heart just broke in that moment as I thought to myself, there's no salvation in Mary. There's no salvation in Mary whatsoever. Friend, in the most loving way as I can convey to you, if that's the theology that you've grown up with, scripture is clear. There is no salvation in Mary. It's salvation in Jesus Christ alone. And my heart wept and it broke. And I said, oh Lord, I pray. I pray that these precious little ones would hear the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ John the Baptist couldn't save these, these, this group of people. Paul knew that. He couldn't save them. He knew that you must be baptized and believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where the power is. This is truth. It's objective truth about who Jesus is that must be understood if there's going to be a real change. You see, sometimes we, we talk about faith just as some sort of sincere belief about really anything at all. Sincerity, repentance, spiritual fervor, they're all good, but in the end, by themselves, they cannot do the job to make a real change. Why? Because these alone make me and you the Savior, right? If I just try really, really hard, if I pray that prayer 10 more times, if I rub those beads a little bit more, if I just repent a little harder, if I confess a little more deeply, maybe the change will finally come. Friends, those are all fine. Well, most of those are fine things, but, but, but really, where does the power come from? It comes from outside of ourselves. It's not just merely subjective. It's objective truth in the gospel of Jesus Christ that sets people free. Jesus alone is the Savior. You and I cannot be our own saviors. This is why religion by itself cannot save Religion cannot bring real change because humanity's wickedness is deep. Our sincerity eventually wanes. Our repentance is temporary. Our fervor gives way to apathy. We need someone outside of us. Real objective truth about a real powerful Savior. And that's what happens. They receive the truth and real change, complete change happens to these believers and then we see that the word continues to spread out. Paul returns back to the synagogue. We see in verses 8 and 9 that he had to leave back in chapter 18, verse 19. Remember, Paul talked about, we looked last week, he had limitations. He had to go. He couldn't stay in Ephesus longer. Well, he comes back. And he's reasoning with the Jews from the scripture about the objective truth, about the powerful Savior who is Jesus. But what happens to these hearts? It says there in verses uh, 8 through 10 that, these hearts become stubborn. They become hard-hearted to the truth. They're unbelieving and they continued in unbelief. They didn't lack the evidence. Paul was there. He laid it out before them, all of the scripture, but they refused to believe. And not only that, their hearts became so hard, just like, like the, the scripture teaches about Pharaoh in Egypt. His heart became hard so that they spoke evil. They began lying and blaspheming Jesus and the way of those who followed Jesus. 
This Christian movement was no longer viewed as a form of Judaism. They saw Christians as a completely different way. Why? Because they ignored the objective truth and they would not repent, trust, and receive the message. You see, the, this group of people, they had the opposite problem of the, of the first group. The first group, they had incomplete knowledge. They had a sincere faith, and they received it when they heard it. This group, they get the whole message, but what happens to their hearts? They become hard, and they won't repent, and they won't receive. You see, we do need an objective truth, but we also need to subjectively believe it in our hearts. Students, young people, if you're here today, we want to let you know, just because you maybe have come to church here with a family, maybe you've grown up in a Christian household, that does you no spiritual benefit if you do not personally put your faith in Jesus Christ. In fact, we've seen it over and over again that, that sometimes our young people, and if you're one of those, maybe you're an adult now, and maybe you had a season of your life where you've been hard-hearted to the gospel, oh, I pray that God would soften your heart and that he'd soften my heart you could have all of your theology lined up. You could have every point of doctrine figured out to, to perfection and to a T. You could have all the, the books of the Bible memorized. You could have all the Awana badges, if you know what I'm talking about, Awana Bible program. You could have them all, and you could still go to hell, friends, if you do not make Jesus your personal Savior and your Lord. There wasn't people in, in Ephesus that had more knowledge about the truth than these people who stubbornly and hard-heartedly rejected the truth about Jesus Christ. And so as we see this word making a change in the city of Ephesus, it's twofold. It's objective truth, but it also must entail subjective trust and belief in that truth. And so they reject him. Because they wouldn't take a look at the man in the mirror and confess their sin and their need for the Savior. So Paul finds a new place to teach the truth. And what's amazing here, he goes to this household of Tyrannus, and, and now he's, he's preaching and teaching. But what's amazing here is that the gospel then spreads to the whole region, it says, in Asia. Now, this isn't speaking of Asia all the way out to, you know, Mongolia or China or, or India. This is speaking of Asia Minor, modern Turkey today, the region that was called Asia in the Roman Empire. But it's still so incredibly significant, friends. And we're talking with pe about people that don't have planes, don't have smartphones, don't have cars. They don't have billions of Bibles printed and tracts printed. We're talking about a small group of people in a very influential city, and they just start talking about the message. They just start sharing it with people. And it says that the whole region got to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. I, it's, it's believed during this time that the churches of Revelation chapter 2 through 3, Ephesus, Sardis, Laodicea were being planted right during this time because the gospel was changing that little chunk of the world in Ephesus and in Asia. God's word clearly taught and received can make a big change. It has to start with the man in the mirror, but it's got to go beyond him. I need some power from on the outside, and that's Jesus Christ, the Lord. When it comes to the gospel and eternity and heaven and hell, friends, when we think about our world, uh, we can't believe this lie that ignorance is bliss. Sometimes we believe that with all of the different religious philosophies and, and relativist thinking and all this stuff that's out there, you believe what you believe, I'll believe what I believe, and we'll be just fine. Oh, no, friends, ignorance is not bliss when it comes to the gospel. In fact, uh, 
I was thinking about this. I, I remember reading in the, in the newspapers, I can't remember which one specifically. I think it's in the New York Times. But uh, uh, back in February 19th of 2020, does that date ring a bell? February 2020, right? Right? Just think about life like what it was in February, not March, February of 2020. There was a group of 12 people. They set out on a 25-day rafting trip in the Grand Canyon. And they just went in just blissfully. This is going to be great. 25-day trip. We're way down deep in this canyon, and we're going to raft for 25 days, right? And cell phones are off. Even if they turn them on, no reception. And they emerge (coughs) 25 days later from this rafting trip. And the person that rented them the gear is picking up the gear and said, "Uh, yeah, so have you guys heard what's going on? No, no, no. We've been shut out for 25 days. Well, let me tell you. And, uh, and, okay, so, so you're laughing. You're picking up what I'm talking about here, right? COVID blew up the entire time while they were there all over the world. Italy was shut down. And, and I think I remember reading one of them. They're like, I can't figure out why is there no toilet paper? What does COVID have to do with toilet paper, right? <laughs> but they were living in this ignorant world. But on the outside, the world really around them was just breaking down and hurting. And people were dying and diseases were spreading and it was, and families and, and people were just broken all over the place. And so when they emerge out of this, they finally see, oh my gosh, the rafting trip was great, but my goodness, we have friends and family that are hurting so, so deeply. In fact, their phones were filled with messages and calls when they got out. See, in order to make a change, we, we, gotta, we gotta get past this idea that ignorance is bliss. Ignorance is not bliss. People need to hear the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, as I saw those, those little children, those students that were praying across the street, praying and holding their rosary beads and stuff, I thought, that is so sweet. I, I hope that there's some sincerity there, but my goodness, the objective truth is missing. It's missing. And sometimes we can lull ourselves into thinking, well, they're nice people. Oh, they have a sincere sincerity about them. <coughs> sincerity, sincerity enough is, is, alone is not enough, friends. The message of the gospel must get out. We're not doing anyone a service by skirting around the truth. And in fact, Romans 1.16 says this. I love what Paul writes. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes for the Jew first and also for the Greek. That's the power, friends. If we want to make a change, it's got to be in the gospel. Well, we got to move on. God's work. We saw God's word. What about God's work? It's interesting. Verse 11, it's very clear. I love how Luke puts this in Acts chapter 19, verse 11. God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. Make sure you get that right. It's not, Luke didn't write this, Paul was doing extraordinary miracles. No, no, no. God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. Now, this isn't just any kind of miracle. These are extraordinary miracles. We're talking like the kinds of stuff that, that Jesus was being made famous about in the Gospels, the kind of stuff that we see in the opening chapters of the book of Acts by, by Peter and John and the other apostles. These are authenticating, extraordinary miracles. So much, though, that even like handkerchiefs and things that touched Paul got back and were healed people. This is, this is powerful stuff, friends. But make no mistake, it is God who was doing the extraordinary works, right? It was God who was doing it. Well, but we see, though, there's some that are impressed by this. 
And we know Ephesus was a really religious town. There were idols all over the place. And there were people that were using their idols and different merchandise from the, from the, from the temple of Diana that was there. And they were using this merchandise almost as like these uh, talismans or something. Or, you know, these things that they could use as, as superstition and, and bring healing and hope to people. But, but they would do it in their own power, right? And so these sons of Sceva, they, they think, oh, well, if that works for Paul, let's, let's do it too. And they say, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims as they're trying to cast out an evil, an evil spirit. There's no relationship to Jesus. There's no relationship to Paul. They're just invoking the name of Jesus. They were seeking to contest with evil spirits in their own power, thinking that if I could just say the name, friends, Jesus' name is not powerful unless you've received it as your own. It is powerful on its own, but it makes no difference to you if you do not receive it by faith. These men, they were trying to just call upon the name of Jesus in this moment, thinking that they could somehow exert Jesus' power on their own. We know that Ephesus was extremely religious. People were doing this kind of stuff all the time, but now they were invoking the name of Jesus right into their idolatry, right into their syncretism, right into their superstition, and it says that these wicked fortune tellers, these card readers as we would see them today, these word manipulators, spiritual world manipulators, they were overcome by the one who had greater power than all seven put together. That's a pretty scary sight, right? We saw it right there in Acts chapter 19. These guys try to invoke the name of Jesus, and all of a sudden this guy gets enraged, and he comes after them, and he, and he overpowers them. He probably hand ties them, takes off their clothes and shame, and then shoves them outside. And these guys learn a hard, hard lesson. Jesus' name is not to be trifled with. Jesus' name is to be revered. Jesus' name is to be worshipped, not invoked so incredibly uh, uh, irreverently. And the powerful work of Jesus was on display. The story got out. People started to hear about this story, about these guys being overcome by an evil spirit because they invoked the name of Jesus irreverently. And people said, oh my, this name of Jesus is different. This name of Jesus is special. This isn't like the gods that we, we call upon, the Greek gods or the, the Roman gods or the, or the pagan gods or any of these other gods. This name of Jesus is, is special. They saw the work of Jesus and they realized that, that Jesus is powerful. Jesus is good. These, these aren't phonies any longer. These aren't fakes. The story of the sons of Sceva, it spreads a lesson for all. The name of Jesus is powerful. He's not like the gods of Ephesus, Athens, or Rome. This Jesus, he can't be manipulated. His name is to be feared by evil spirits and revealed by all people, friends. God's powerful work, it was doing a great change in this community. We know that change is coming when people start to see this Jesus is special. Paul didn't have a cult following. The church in Ephesus didn't have a cult following. People revered the name of Jesus. This didn't produce a TV evangelist. It didn't produce people that were obsessed with miracles. It produced a people, as God did his work through the hands of Paul, that they saw that Jesus and his name are powerful it didn't happen just in Ephesus. Change happened all over the place. 
believers recognized that, that devotion to Jesus meant leaving behind their old wicked practices. It says they came and they divulged and they confessed their evil practices. Even believers in Jesus, they had to be trained and discipled to understand you can't call Jesus as Lord and go around worshiping idols and trying to manipulate the spiritual realm. Jesus alone is Lord and we trust in his work and in his power. And they came and they started divulging their practices. Those who practice magic arts, they brought their books, uh, their works of darkness, and they burned them. Now, this wasn't a coerced or manipulated or self-righteous or dictatorial book burning. This is, friends, this is something else. This is people recognizing the specialness, the glory, the holiness, the power, the awesomeness of Jesus. You see, when we, when we come with God's word and we watch him do his work Friends, we don't have to gain all the power in a community. We don't have to coerce people to do things to obey Jesus. When we see God's power on display, they willingly come and say, I want to repent. I want to change. I'm sure Paul called them to it, but he didn't coerce them to it. We don't need political power to see God do a work. We could trust in his name. We could preach his word. We could see what he does to bring change to human hearts, real change, something that Michael Jackson never sung about, real, real change. Why? Because we see that change was accomplished through Jesus. Paul writes this in Colossians 2 and chapter 2, verses 8 and 15, which was in the same region there, not far from Ephesus. Paul writes this, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. Don't give in to the philosophy and the idolatry and the wickedness of this age. Why? Because he, being God the Father, through Jesus Christ, disarmed the rulers and the authorities and the evil spirits and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Friend, there isn't an evil spirit. There isn't a force. There isn't Satan himself that could overcome Jesus Christ and his power. Friends, you're on the more powerful team if you belong to Jesus. It's his word and it's his work that he accomplishes as he does miracles in our community and we get to be a part of that to watch real lasting change take place. God changes the world through his word and his work. And so what was produced by all of this? Repentance. Those who truly experience, just like his word, the miraculous, powerful work of God. They repent of sin. They don't look for more miracles. They, they trust in the miracle worker. This is what real change looks like. It's not conquering power. It's not conquering our society. It's transformation of human hearts as the word of God is proclaimed. And God does his miraculous work in and through his people and so what was the ultimate result? Verse 20, we get a summary statement from Luke that seems to end every section that he's writing about. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Friends, I hope that's your prayer for Fairfax. Praying this verse, praying this for our world, praying this for Washington, D.C. and Capitol Hill, praying this for the Middle East. Lord, we want to see your word continue to increase and prevail mightily. We're not just looking at the man in the mirror. We're calling on the man of the scripture and we're asking him to make a change in our lives and in our cities, in our communities. Change isn't merely social. It's not economic. 
It's not educational or political. True change is first spiritual, friends. We must call upon our God and ask him, say, Lord, first do a spiritual change because when our relationship is changed before our God, he begins to change how we treat one another. The change of trying to treat one another more fairly, it's a good and right thing to do. But, oh, friends, it always ends up being temporary. But if we could have our hearts changed before our God, we could still see, we could see true and lasting change. So I want to ask you, Will you start with the man in the mirror, but then will you look to the man in the scripture? Will you look to Jesus? He makes the change. He's the hope for our city. He's the hope for our region and for our world. So what does this mean for Monday? Well, because God's word, God's word brings a change, friend, you can't be shy about it. I can't be shy about it. You probably know someone who says that they reject Christianity, but have you ever asked them the question why? Why do you reject Christianity? You see, not all opposition to Christianity is outright rejection. It's often confusion or misunderstanding or misrepresentations about the truth of Jesus. Because you know what? Sometimes the church in general, even in the United States, sometimes we can be poor witnesses, right? But we come not trying to make a case for the church. We come and make a case, say, hey, but have you considered Jesus? I think if we could have those kinds of honest conversations with people and say, do you really know the gospel? Do you really know the truth about who Jesus is and what he's done for us? Because if you're going to reject it, if you're going to reject it, I just want to make sure that you're rejecting the true, real, authentic truth. Don't be shy about it, friends. Ask questions. Have honest conversations. See if those in your life that need to be changed, see if they know the real Jesus then also we have to think about this. Paul didn't have a YouTube channel, friends. He, he, he talked to a lot of people for sure, but he didn't have some sort of influential social media account, but yet the word spread because people like you and like me, they didn't have to be apostles. They were ordinary people transformed by the power of the gospel. They took the message wherever they went and they spoke it to people they were in contact with. Why? Because the word of God brings real Change. I want to ask you, are you a word person? Do you know the word of the gospel? You know what? Don't be ashamed if you don't. Grab somebody in your small group. Grab somebody. Grab a friend here in this community and say, let's learn the word together because it's the thing that can bring real change to my world and real change to the 8 to 15 people that I spend a lot of time with. Oh, I want to be a person of the word. Are you a person of the word? Do you read it? Do you learn it? Do you talk about it? Do you have honest conversations with people about the word that can bring real lasting change? And then also to this, because God's power brings a change, we must not get in the way of his power. Extraordinary miracles, they were happening through Paul in Ephesus, but are we praying today for the power of God to be on display in the everyday stuff in our lives? I read Acts and I close Acts and I say, Lord, I wanna live some of that today. I really do. I want to see some of that stuff on display in Fairfax here today, right? Is there an Acts 29 and 30 and so on for us, the church today, to see great, glorious works of God on display, to see change in this world? The sons of Sceva, they foolishly, that we saw in our passage, they foolishly invoke the name of Jesus. But do we call upon his name at all in times of need, in times of trouble? 
Are we too modern of people to actually think that God could do a powerful work in our lives and those we know? Friend, I've been convicted, and you might be too here today. I've been convicted about how quickly I run to the medicine cabinet or to the pharmacy for healing before I call upon God. I I mean, I got it right here, right? I mean, here's a demonstration that the Lord is allowing me to experience right here today. And I think to myself, Lord, I need to get some medicine for this. But you know what? I'm going to call upon your name. You're a powerful God. You can heal. You could do powerful, miraculous works you know people who, are, who, are, who have cancer and, and who have hurts and diseases much serious than I've got here, people with real hurts. Do we take the time to say, I'm not just going to say, have you gone to the doctor? How's your chemo going? How about this? Can I pray for you? Can I pray for you? Can I call upon the name of a powerful God who is powerful enough to save and rescue and even heal you? Oh, friends, let be, let's be people of the word but let's be people who trust in the powerful name of our God so that his name, as we saw as happened in Ephesus, this town was changed. The name of Jesus was extolled. It was praised. It was magnified. It was revered, and it was believed upon. If you're here today, uh, worship team, come on up. If you're here today and you're craving real change, real change, and you may be here thinking, well, I gotta start with the man in the mirror. That's a good start. It only gets you so far. You gotta look to the God-man in scripture, Jesus, and ask him to change your ways. And the way that we experience this change is because of the very thing that we're gonna celebrate here this morning as we get prepared to close. I'm gonna ask you to go ahead and stand up. And uh, it can be a little bit awkward to open these packages up. So go ahead and just let's do it together, okay? The top film gets the bread out and the second film gets the juice exposed. But as we do this, let's just consider the one who did a mighty and powerful work for us. This is the message. This is the work that brings real change. Real change. The body of Jesus Christ that was given for you and for me. The blood of Jesus that was shed on the cross. That's what these elements represent. This little wafer represents the real body of God in the flesh given for you. This juice represents the blood of Jesus shed for your sins. And Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 11 that as often as you do this, you do this in remembrance of Jesus, the one who can bring real change. So I want to ask you today, as we just take a few moments to reflect, and we're going to sing this awesome song called Son of Suffering. I want to ask you, what kind of change are you praying for in your world? What kind of change are you praying for in in the world of your family, maybe for your kids? What kind of change are you praying for in our world at large? Will you take a moment and say, Lord, I confess, it's through the word of the gospel and the work that Jesus did contained in that gospel that can bring real change. Whatever's heavy on your heart today, I'm gonna let you have a few moments to confess this to the Lord. But as you confess your need for change, confess your trust in the hope of the gospel of the body and the blood that was given for you to bring real change to your life and to this world. Take a few moments, confess your need to God, confess the gospel. Do it now, friends.